Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty, R.E. Lewis 2011, and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I am joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. How we doing, man? Good. Yeah, we had the Game Awards this week. I think that's the most notable thing that happened. <laughs> uh, I, I can't... Everything else this week was kind of just leading up to that moment. Um, just lots of work, um, but no Elden Ring. I, uh, it was... Most anticipated game and most disappointment for not seeing it. Like, I was hoping, like, game of the year and then fucking Elden Ring just trumpets. They have a full orchestra. Miyazaki flies in with, like, hand gliders and just shooting bottle rockets. Didn't happen. Man, what a what a lost opportunity that was. <laughs> yeah. No, one thing I wish they would have done was but I think Miyazaki would have had to answer for why Elden Ring wasn't shown, is each year Game of the Year was passed off by the previous winner. Mm. I think that would be cool, but then Miyazaki, I mean, the lack of crowd, they, he wouldn't have been harassed, but uh, he would have been like, oh, so uh, Elden Ring trailer, where's that? And he just slinks off stage. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. Um, I mean, we'll get to it in the back half of the show. We'll yeah. talk about the Game Awards. We will revisit Ryan and I's... Um, predictions for what would win what we wanted to win and then of course what ended up going on to win and then talk about of course one of the most exciting things is what was announced so we each came up with our top five lists we're not going to go through the whole litany of announcements uh you can go to ign or any other video game website to kind of see the entire catalog of things that were announced we don't want to completely reiterate we just want to kind of hone in on the things that excited us most but uh what else do we got to do yeah, just our overall impressions of the show, and uh, well, as we always do on the Otaku Brothers podcast, we'll get to the games that we have been playing recently. Yes. One quick thing I do want to also um, cover, you know, a lot of people probably listen to this show and are not in our Discord, which if you are not, you absolutely should be. It's relatively effortless to click that link in the show notes, and you are introduced free of charge to a whole slew of fun discussions with our community. Lots of really great things going on in there. So we encourage you to definitely hop in there, introduce yourself, and have some fun with the discussion. But what I realized in post when I was editing the episode, I noticed that uh, I was definitely getting some echoing stuff going on on my end, which based on Ryan and I's setup here, there's always going to be some level of echo just by nature of the room. I don't have professional soundproofing walls or anything like that. What I did end up doing is ordering uh, these fa- uh, these foam sound canceling panels. And ideally, I'd kind of put them all over my walls and litter them pretty much everywhere surrounding us. But before I do that, I wanted to kind of just do a simple test episode to kind of see, uh, are these actually going to help reduce that level of echo? And so Ryan and I very inconveniently, a little DIY project, I basically, these little panels that are one and a half inch thick, 12 by 12, I cut out some cardboard, pasted them to the back of cardboard and kind of created a little fortress of sorts around our microphones. <laughs> uh, so it's a very inconvenient uh, setup. It's definitely a pain in the ass to access my micro- or, uh, my keyboard and mouse. Um, but Ryan and I just wanted to do this to see, is this going to help reduce that echo? And if it is, then I'll go ahead and move forward with plastering my walls with these things. Uh, because if they were super cheap and they weren't going to work, 
you know, I would just send them back yeah. and then figure out a new, a new solution, uh, which I'm currently trying to doing or currently trying to do. So big shout out to friend of the show, uh, Frantic, also known as Josh or Frantic Society on Twitter. He and I have been going back and forth behind the scenes, just trying to figure out uh, maybe just some software noise gating stuff that we could potentially leverage to help alleviate the pains of the echo. So definitely appreciate the patience. Uh, we apologize for the poor audio issues. Ryan and I, we can't seem to catch a break, dude. No, I mean, your computer crashed after like an hour of testing <laughs> echoing before this and we're like, oh, fuck. Like, are we going to even be able to do this yeah. after all that testing? But we're here, so hopefully this gets out eventually and uh, let us know if there's echo. Exactly. So we'll all definitely figure out in post if we run into that issue. And if we do, so be it. Ryan and I, we're always trying to get better here on the Talking Brothers podcast. So uh, we're definitely going to stick to that mantra and hopefully post episode 100, we figure out all of these problems. But person I just mentioned, his name's Josh Frantic. He, uh, I actually don't think I've plugged this. So do you mind if I don't I do? think so. No, yeah. go ahead. Just Plug something else that isn't Otago Brothers. <laughs> I'm just really trying. Please divert everyone. Go to there, not yeah, here. <laughs> we, yeah, we're trying to really shake things up with our fan base here. Yeah. But anyways, uh, good friend Josh. I've known him for a number of years, mainly through the Cartridge Club, um, started by P1, P2, Sean and Mark, two good friends or two brothers in Canada. They kind of started a whole community of gamers, uh, kind of coming away from the YouTube gaming community that was back in the, you know, mid 2000s. Yeah. And through that, they did an episode through their game of the month thing where they were talking about Kingdom Hearts and they knew that I was a tremendous fan of the game series. So they called me on to be on the show. And that's kind of where I was introduced to Josh. Well, years down the line, fast forward, you know, Josh would always kind of post or not always, but he would always kind of dream about creating a show where he just talked about reviewing either Fast and the Furious films or Disney movies or just movies in general because he already has a podcast of his own where it's kind of just a life podcast where he talks about what he's doing, games he's playing, etc. And then he recently started Indie Quest where it's all about, uh, you know, sharing the love of indie developed games. Well, anyways, you know, I'd always, he kind of always put the feelers out there for doing a show about movies and I would occasionally kind of bite on the idea and say, dude, that sounds awesome. Uh, we both kind of share an unusual mutual love of the Fast and the Furious films. I said, I'm totally on board for doing that. And so often he'd light up my DMs and say, all right, well, when are we doing it? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, it's tough for me to commit to something like that right now because of work or life or whatever. And then finally, I'm like, what's really preventing me from doing this? I'm kind of getting in my own way of doing a show with a great friend that would just be a hell of a fun time yep. with really let le- little um back-end effort right because editing wouldn't be some exhaustive effort and preparation for the show is really just watching the films sitting down and having a good time with a friend talking about them and so i finally agreed um and i'm so so thankful that i did uh, box office bliss is kind of the name that we locked in for the show you can find it on all your favorite podcasting feeds josh and i are kind of splitting it and segmenting the show into seasons and each season is going to be a specific film franchise our franchise or TV show uh, that we love. And so season one is all about the Fast and the Furious films. We're going to be reviewing all movies leading up to the anticipated, highly anticipated uh, Fast 9, where they're going to go to the moon or space or something like that to save the world, as they typically do in the Fast and the Furious film. So we just recorded the Tokyo Drift episode uh, this week. 
Episode two should be dropping here in the next few days. So if you haven't seen the films, hop on board, go along the crazy ride that is the Fast and the Furious movies. We've just been having such a riot recording these shows. It's just been a really good time. So I wanted to plug it because I'm really proud of the show and uh, Josh is a really good friend of mine. And so I just think that uh, it just makes for a fun listen. Yeah, sounds like a good time. And uh, have you gotten around to watching the Fast and the Furious yet? Uh, no, I uh, I binged three seasons of Ozarks in two weeks. So. Oh, hell yeah. I'll give you a pass. What did you think of Ozark then? It was amazing. Yeah. You disappointed me yesterday where you're like, oh, yeah, season four, it wasn't renewed. They're just doing two episodes. It's going to be a shit ending. And that's not true. Which so. I'm glad you enlightened me because I... I was freaking out. I was like, it could... I mean, it's probably not Breaking Bad quality but mm-hmm. it's also got a really good story that they've developed over like 30 episodes so yeah and I, and I really was convinced that i thought i read something on twitter or the rumblings from um jason bateman i thought he was on a, a talk show with maybe jimmy kimmel where he said yeah we're not sure if it's going to re- be renewed or i thought he confirmed it was but only for a few episodes so i'm really glad they're giving the show um the attention it deserves uh giving the creators um the freedom to tell the story they want to with the final season because as season three wraps up if you've watched ozark you'll know there's no way that they can tie everything together in a nice knot with a few episodes no and luckily they're getting 14 and it was confirmed back in june well that's good i mean you know breaking bad there's very few shows that could ever come close to the level of quality storytelling and acting that that show delivered on but i think ozark does an admirable job of not only casting an incredible cast of characters yeah. uh, across the, the board, really, uh, but telling kind of a similar, really tense drama story where you're kind of always on the edge of your seat, very anxiety-provoking, not a show you want to watch before bed, otherwise you're just going to be staring at your ceiling for hours. That or you'll binge it until, like, 3 in the morning, which... You basically finish. Yeah, yeah. I I spent way too much. I think the first weekend I watched it, I watched all season one mm-hmm. <laughs> and i kind i think my original try or me trying to watch it i got to episode 10 in season one mm, and i was okay. like this is stressful i just want to kind of relax when i watch stuff and then it kept popping up i was i was trying to watch supernatural because it just wrapped up their series finale so mm. i want to get to before it launches on netflix i want to get to season 15 but I don't know. Ozark was just staring me in the face, and you and Lauren have promoted it for so long. So, yeah, two weeks. Go watch Ozarks. It's really, really good. <laughs> yeah. They said it's it's going to take them about a year, so maybe November timing of next year Okay. Um, to get it out there. But it sounds like they're doing two segments of seven episodes each. Oh, interesting. So, so they kind might of a similar launch, Breaking Bad split between the season, the final yeah, season. Yeah, they might have, like, here's seven episodes and then have the second half. Interesting. I like that setup. Uh, and I'm also kind of similar to Breaking Bad. I never watched that when it first released. And so leading up to the final season's hype, I was like, well, it's about time that I finally get around to watching the show. Actually, it was when I was in uh, Illyria on that internship in Cleveland oh. that I finally got around to watching Breaking Bad because uh, one of my coworkers he had never seen Lost. And I basically talked it up as being one of the greatest shows of all time because for me personally, it is. Yeah. And it was on Netflix at the time. So he was like, let's go through Lost together. 
And then if we do, you have to go through Breaking Bad. And I was like, okay, that's a fair trade-off. That is fair. And so we watched through Lost together together again. And that's one of the, the things I think I miss most about kind of the, the office environment is, yeah. one, just having the camaraderie with your peers, but those relationships where you kind of say, hey, go play this video game or go watch this show. And then the, the first thing you do when you walk in the morning is put down your bag and you go to your friend's cube and you just sit there and talk about something for probably like an hour too long. I do this with a friend of the show. He doesn't write in the Discord too often, but Sean, um, he's a recent listener of the show. So Sean, nice. if you're listening, what's up? But uh, yeah, we always just spend way too much time and an inordinate amount of time talking about things completely unrelated to work. But I do miss that. And so that's kind of what it was for us when I was in Illyria is every morning he'd be like, dude, there's like this smoke monster on an island. Like, what is up with that? Yeah. And then he'd come the next day and he's like, dude, there's a fucking polar bear on the <laughs> yeah. tropical island. Like, what's going on? And so just kind of that uh, sense of like, what is going on with this show? There's a door. On the island, in the ground. There's a hatch, yeah. Near the hatch. What's the deal with the numbers? Uh, and so similarly, you know, we had similar conversations, as you would expect if you've seen Breaking Bad, uh, with each subsequent episode. And then I ended up fit wrapping my internship up before the final season came out. But I think, you know, Ozark, just again, going back to the comparison between Breaking Bad, I think it just has that sense of like, there's no way you could possibly wait for the next episode. And that's yeah. what makes it so binge worthy. And I'm glad that I waited for the, th- the third season to drop so I could just power through those three seasons. And even though it ends on a crazy cliffhanger to know that it's getting a final season, uh, gives me a lot of hope that they're going yeah. to fit, wrap it up pretty well. Cause I don't think there was any episode that really stumbled. Um, it, all the episodes and the arcs between the three, I mean, each season kind of has its own arc of, antagonists um to the family um but there's also that giant overarching arc that's gonna wrap up in season four um yeah i think they do a really good job well yeah and i think to your point there there's not a lot of filler you know you look at something like supernatural and the filler has its place right because you want to continue to see sam and dean's relationship grow and some of the like craziest stupidest ways on some of the journeys that they go on yeah there's fun dialogue it's just the camaraderie of the two brothers and maybe at the end of the episode they have a conversation about the overarching like angels demons whatever the hell that kind of progresses the main story but juxtaposed with something like breaking bad where vince gilligan a storytelling genius there was really no filler Mm -mm. and if anything there were these beautiful poetic like almost artsy episodes like the fly when um what's his face uh is that the bear in the pool no no no. brian cranston's character remember he's like he's cooking and there's like oh yeah yeah, yeah. it was just like one of the weirdest episodes but it was also one of the most brilliant memorable episodes too it's a fan favorite so um each kind of show has their own purpose but the long and short of it is watch ozark while it doesn't come to the levels of quality of something like breaking bad it doesn't surpass my love of breaking bad i think it does an admirable job of um coming close at least yeah it's definitely in the higher echelons of shows to watch for sure uh, one quick thing i want to get to um in the life update section of our show is that uh, lauren kind of surprises with some early christmas gifts yes she did yeah yeah i um she told me probably about two or three weeks ago that she ordered me a Christmas gift, which we were kind of both under the impression that we weren't going to be ordering anything for Christmas yeah. because um, we're, we got a house, you know, uh, the PS5, I was, the, the PC I built, Lauren got an iPad recently, like, we've kind of just been not, we haven't been smart with our finances. Yeah. I mean, outside of the house, the house was something that obviously was very well thought out, planned, definitely a long time coming for Lauren and I, but we just never anticipated getting each other gifts, certainly nothing that was very expensive. 
just because of all the reasons I just laid out. But uh, anyway, she surprised the both of us with something really special, I think. Uh, she knows how much how much I care about doing Otaku Brothers, how much it means to really the both of us, and just how special it is for you and I to get together every Saturday and record episodes. And, you know, you and I have kind of teased that we'd want to do, like, merch in the future. So yeah. Listeners of the show can get T-shirts or mugs or hats or what have you. Uh, but she ended up getting us both uh, these giant white steins with the logo on the kind of center of the stein. And then she also got us both T-shirts uh, of the logo for the show as well. Yes. So... Very cool, very awesome. Definitely things that we'll we will be sporting once we hopefully uh, can do a live episode on Twitch uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I walked in this morning and she's like, "Hey, I got you a Christmas gift," and all I'm thinking is, "Shit, I didn't plan on getting you anything." Because <laughs> usually for like birthdays and Christmas and all the holidays, uh, our thought process is, "I'm gonna spend like twenty twenty five bucks on you. You're gonna spend twenty five dollars on me." And it just cancels each other out. So if we see something that each other likes throughout the year, let's just get it for each other and not have like a obligated gift. But now I have to get her gift because <laughs> both those items are awesome. I think your presence on Saturdays is more than a gift, Ryan. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I actually have a gift in my trunk for you. Oh, really? Yeah. I have a gift in the room over for you. Oh, cool. And I have, um, so here's the sad thing. So, of course, every year we do our Otaku Brothers Christmas holiday special where we exchange gifts and it's super fun and we just kind of chat it up and have a good time around Christmas. I think last year we actually recorded the episode on Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Uh, the gift I got you is kind of themed after one of your favorite things, if you will. Oh, cool. Uh, actually, two of your favorite things. The sad thing is that... Um, Two of the three items that I got for you, uh, I ordered December 3rd, and the place that I, or maybe it was December 4th, and the whatever day it was, the site said if you order after this day, it might not get there before Christmas. That's fine. I was just Black Friday shopping, and I saw something that I thought you would like. It's not like a formal... My formal gift was the painting, yeah, but no, was, like, yeah. this was just like, oh, hey, I think you and Lauren would like this. So Nice. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I think the thing that did already arrive, because I ordered it like four months ago, um, and I've had it in my wish list. I almost got it for you last year, but then I, I can't remember what I ended up getting you last year, but those things kind of superseded this gift and I thought, okay, well, I'll either get it for your birthday the following year or Christmas. And But you got me Master Chief instead. It, oh, that's right. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Uh, Steve Downs recorded you a little audio clip. But anyways, I think the gift that did arrive, you'll really appreciate. And it's kind of uh, themed after other things I've gotten you in the past. So I think you'll, you'll like it. Nice. Yeah. But my goodness, Ryan, I think we're almost 20 minutes into the show and we haven't even gotten into any of our usual topics. So, uh, as we always do on Otaku Brothers, we talk about the games that we have been playing recently. So, are you still playing that Nexamon game, catch, catching shinies and all that good stuff? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I kind of switched. Um, I ended up getting to the last boss on Demon Souls. So, I've beaten all but the final boss. And then I... I don't know. He has a shit ton of health. So, I ended up switching... And now I'm on a mission for platinum trophies. Oh, yeah. Now you're speaking my language. Yeah. So I ended up downloading uh, Dark Souls 3 on my PS5. And I thought it, I'm really close on my PS4, but I figured I might as well just go through it again and enjoy the game. So I have the Pyromancy trophy is my last one. So I just need all the fire throwing 
magic. Now, did you spells. not transfer your save or anything? You just created a new one, not yeah, worrying I just about a it. New one. Yeah, okay. yeah, because I think there's a limit of ten on the PS4, four or ten saves, and oh. I have ten saves already. Wow. So I figured I'd just start a new game and play through it. So I beat the game, except for the final boss, but you don't need him for the trophy. And then yesterday I was trying to max out some of my rings and weapons so I can make farming a little bit easier. Mm. And right now I have all but one pyromancy. So that one is you have to get to level three in the Mound Maker's Covenant. So you have to give 30, they're called vertebrae shackles. Um, but you can get them from helping people on bosses or killing invaders. Uh-huh. So I'm just grinding them out in a dungeon. Um, I have 9 out of 30. So okay. my goal today, besides cleaning my entire apartment, like deep clean, and it'll be awesome. But the other more important goal is get platinum. Nice. Yeah. Well, you got to definitely let the Discord know if you end up getting the platinum trophy. That's a big deal. Oh, I will. Yeah, I was going to post about, hey... I'm almost there, but I, I feel like it's more important to just say, here's my fucking awesome trophy. Don't tell people you've climbed Everest. Just, you know, send us a picture when you've gotten to the yeah, top. Yeah, when you're like suffocating <laughs> at the top. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think after this, I, I want to do Bloodborne, the next one. Mm. I just have all weapons, which requires me going into the Chalice Dungeons, which is why I didn't do it. And then I have Killing the Queen of Yarnum, who's in the chalice dungeons and then i have the platinum okay so it's all chalice dungeon related um so i'll probably start another new save on the ps5 go through the game and beat the chalice dungeons and then i should be good good stuff i like it i like the trophy hunting i like that i have in some way inspired you to be better in life corrupted inspired what are synonyms synonyms (laughs) for sure yeah what about you what have you played uh, so following last week, I think I talked a little bit about Prey, which is the Arcane Systems or Arcane Studios, a first-person shooter that's kind of a Bioshock, uh, alien-type game experience that didn't completely get its hooks in me, so I kind of put that down for a little bit, and I went back to uh, more Spidey Remastered, but man, I think it's partly because of the somewhat burnout of playing Miles Morales and almost getting the Platinum Trophy in that. I started New Game Plus because one of the final trophies is beating it on New Game Plus to to get that Platinum. So so is it harder on New Game Plus or is it the same difficulty? I think that's up to you, honestly. I think you can change the difficulty if you choose to. Oh, okay. So um, it's just you have all your gear and abilities and stuff. Going exactly. You carry okay. all that over and I think, I think that game allows you to change the difficulty at any given moment. Yeah, um, I'm so used to New Game Plus is like plus 30% damage, plus 30%... Remove the yeah. Dark Souls cap, Ryan, please. You know? I can't. <laughs> I know. It, at this point, it's ingrained. Yeah, you're always breathing in. I get it. Once you die, your second life gets 30% harder. <laughs> Yeah, well, thankfully, that's not I how... I think that's a Buddhist teaching of re- reincarnation. Probably. Yeah, it's not how Marvel's Spider-Man works. But, um, yeah, I can't get over how bogged down with extra stuff that game feels. Like, I clear one district of thug, thug crimes and then regular crimes, and then it's like, oh, another district over. You have 10 more of those things. And so... Um, it's still a really excellent game, and right now my my vision of the game or my my thoughts about it are kind of blurry and and muddied just because 
uh, I've already done all this, yeah. right? I've already gone through, I have 100% of the game. I spent, I think, 86 hours with it. It was my playtime uh, stamp when I checked on the PS5 of the original game. Uh, so to go through that entire experience, not even a year removed since I beat it around this time last year, is a little tough, especially having recently yeah, played Yeah, you're models. definitely doing that to yourself. You know, 100%. So I need to just kind of put it down. However, it still is one of those games where... Um, late at night, if I don't really feel like playing some of these other games that I've invested in this week, or um, I'm trying to just get through my podcasting feed, it really is the perfect podcast game to throw whatever it is in your backlog in terms of uh, episodes you're listening to, kind of funny, whatever it ends up being, swinging around the city, doing a couple of the crimes, collecting some of the stuff you haven't collected yet, clearing warehouses, all that good stuff. It's it's a great podcast game. Good. So I'm still enjoying it in that sense. Um, two other games that I started this week that I think I'm probably pretty locked in on and going to play to completion over the next few weeks, especially as we kind of get into the holiday season here. Not that they're holiday games in any stretch of the imagination, uh, but the first game is something that is the Cartridge Club Game of the Month. I talked earlier in the episode about uh, that's kind of how I met Josh and just really two good guys that kind of um, oversee that whole community. Um, but their game of the month uh, for December is Life is Strange. Okay. And so this is by Don't Nod. It is kind of a episodic adventure game similar to Walking Dead. Okay. Um, something, is it the same art style? Uh, no, it's not. It doesn't really have that cell shadedness. However, I feel like a lot of the, the facial animations of the characters, it's not that they seem robotic but it's not something like the last of us where it's motion captured you know it just has sort of a jankness to it but i think that also just plays into the game's charm and so just to kind of take a step back i won't really go into the details of all the story but i will kind of set the scene um that i don't think is in any way spoiling it for people because if you play the first 15 minutes of this you'll kind of get an idea of where this is going and so it really takes place this main protagonist this young girl her name is max or maxine She's in 12th grade, she goes to this preparatory school, and she kind of finds herself in this photography class. Well, she kind of has this out-of-body experience, she kind of falls asleep, she's in this dream, there's this horrible storm, she kind of starts walking towards, and you're controlling her at this point, this lighthouse. Well, as you walk towards the lighthouse, there's kind of this crazy tornado out in the water that ends up disrupting or breaking down the lighthouse, it falls, and it ends up falling on you, and it's so vivid and it seems so real for Max that she kind of wakes up and is like, what was that about? Well, you come to find out here really early on is that Max has the ability to rewind and control time. And so that's kind of the main uh, mechanic of the game where you find yourself in these really crazy situations where you either have these heated debates or discussions with people or you witness these traumatic events, well, then you have a hand and then it's kind of like this weird butterfly effect thing where you can rewind time, make it a different decision, say something different that kind of alters the story in some meaningful, significant way that might not have payoffs for maybe even a couple episodes. I don't really know, right? So after that dream that you have, uh, class ends, you are about to leave, your photography professor is like, hey, Max, don't let me think or don't think that I haven't forgotten that you haven't turned in your little project yet. And you're kind of just like, I know, and yada, yada, yada. You have this conversation with him. Uh, you have the opportunity to kind of change the conversation that you have with him to fit the way you want that little relationship to go. 
Well, you find yourself then needing to go to the bathroom. So you go into the girl's room. You rip up your photo because you feel like you haven't really done a a good job with the project that you did, even Mm -hmm. though the photo she took was brilliant. And then she kind of just is in this depressive state. She's looking at herself in the mirror, kind of questioning everything. Well, then she kind of goes to the back of the bathroom and these two people enter the bathroom. One of them, the first being this young boy uh, who kind of seems psychotic. He's talking to himself. He almost seems like he's on drugs or something like that. And then another girl who you come to find out is a childhood friend of Max's comes in and they kind of have this argument of sorts. He shoots her. She falls to the ground and Max is like, what the heck? So then she rewinds time to then kind of alter this whole situation, pulls the fire alarm before he shoots her. And then that's when you kind of find out like, holy shit, like I actually have the opportunity to change the outcome of these crazy situations. And so that's kind of all I'll say to kind of set up the scene. Um, You can tell that it's definitely going to be a very emotional story similar to The Walking Dead, but it kind of adds in that additional nuance uh, or mechanic with the the rewind feature where The Walking Dead, you're kind of pitted in these situations where it's like, do you save this person or do you save that person? And you convince yourself that saving this person feels so right in The Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. but then you're kind of ridiculed by the surrounding characters because you didn't save the other person. And you can't go back time. You kind of just have to own your decision and then explain away why you made that certain decision. Well, now they add, there's an added complexity with Life is Strange where then they give you the opportunity. It's like, well, do you want to commit to that decision or that dialogue choice? Or do you want to rewind and see what happens if you go the other way? And so it definitely just kind of tugs on your heartstrings. It's a bit anxiety provoking, but in just in a different way than Walking Dead was. So I'm really loving it. Lauren is actually playing it as well because not to spoil anything, but she might have a hand in uh, that cartridge club episode at the end of the month, but we'll see. You know, it it almost sounds certain. like that one rom-com where they can go back in time and change decisions. The one with the girl with the notebook that we watched at the cabin. Oh, about time with yeah. Rachel McAdams. It I actually ended like up that. watching the beginning of that too. Oh, did you like it? Yeah. Good. Good. Um, so yeah, I really like it. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. Again, it's not one of those things, though, that you kind of just sit down and casually, mindlessly play like Spider-Man Remastered, but I am enjoying it. I'm looking forward to playing more and seeing where Max's story goes, and certainly the hand that I have in uh, altering the story and where it ends up going. So, good stuff there, but one other game I've been playing this week, Ryan, that I think you'll definitely get a kick out of when you eventually play it. You've seen some (laughs) gameplay of it, and uh, we've been having a good time doing some share play stuff with this one, and that is Code Vein by Namco Bandai. This is basically anime Dark Souls. Yes, then no, that's really accurate. I really have no better way to describe it or try and paint the picture for people and what this game actually plays like, but um, it's kind of some ridiculous story. I actually have the first paragraph of the plot from Wikipedia to read through just because it is so bonkers that I think it's worth reading. Um, But yeah, so I think... For people that already love Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, all of those Souls-like games, I think this you'll be right at home with this because okay. you'll love kind of the, just the difference in approach to storytelling because you play something like Dark Souls or Bloodborne, the story's there, the lore is there, but it's kind of told in a very cryptic manner where unless you go out of your way to talk to all these NPCs, you don't really have a clear idea of what's going on in that world, right? No, it's not, not like all. really in your face about it, whereas... Code Vein is 
very in your face about what's going on, the story, the dialogue between characters, and all that stuff. So I think if you're a fan of the Dark Souls games, you'll feel right at home here. But I think on the other side of the coin, if the Dark Souls, Bloodborns of the world have been too intimidating of a learning curve, or you just really weren't uh, interested in getting invested in those games, but you're a fan of anime, Mm -hmm. I think this is a nice way to shake things up because you also, throughout the game, with its more story-driven approach, you actually have these companions, or they're called partners, that you can kind of go through the story with at any given time. So um, you travel to these different locations, similar to Dark Souls. You also have a main hub like you do in Dark Souls. And in that main hub, you have like a training station where you can kind of um, just practice combat-related stuff. You have a number of NPCs that you can talk to where you either exchange goods that you find around the world that um, in turn you get like these trading values that, uh, like let's say you give want like an item that a mechanic could use so there's an, a mechanic in the home base if you okay. give an item to him that he would like he gives you these trade tokens and then these trade tokens can be used to get other weapon enhancements and things like that uh, but these npcs can also be used as recruits in combat oh nice so i think with that in mind you know a lot of times I know for myself, like I would recruit NPCs into the world to fight bosses with me in Dark Souls, but as soon as you beat a boss, then they kind of just disappear. Yeah. Right. Well, this is different in the sense that you can really go through the entirety of game of the game with these NPCs and kind of help you in combat, whether they're just bullet sponges for the boss while you kind of heal yourself or, you know, it's you, you tactfully use them and you're attacking from the front while they're attacking from the back sort of thing. Uh, pretty smart AI, I would say, but... Ultimately, I think the best way to describe it is just anime souls. I just actually, before recording, ended up beating the, what I would consider the first boss. There's a boss earlier in the game, but that's more just a tutorial thing to kind of get you prepped for what this game actually has in store for you. And uh, I don't know, it's a really good time. It definitely has the the jank that you would expect from Dark Souls. Not really with the ragdoll physics, but there's areas where draw distance wise, before you walk into an area, you see these enemies in the distance and they're going at like five frames per second. Yeah, it's it's pretty noticeable. They're, <laughs> they're like chugging along and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I don't know. The, it's, the draw distance wasn't even that like far. Not at all. Yeah. It was like 30 feet, and I think it was because they're behind a wall that they're like, oh, they can barely see that, even though it's like just a window. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, it's really good times. I'm enjoying it. It's one of those things, though, very much like Dark Souls, though, when you get to a boss and they kick your ass, and it's like, okay, well, it's not one of those games like Kingdom Hearts or Kingdoms of Amalur or other third-person RPGs where you can just button mash your way through. There's definitely strategy. There's nuance and complexity to your character builds beyond just, I'm going to go grind a bunch and level up to get my attack points up, and then I'm just going to overcome the boss. It's like, no, you have these different rune slots that you have to strategically use different runes depending on the boss's vulnerabilities, things of that nature. It's not too steep a learning curve where I would say... um, Someone who hasn't played Dark Souls, or even if you had, it's going to be completely over your head. You can learn it pretty quick. There's a tutorial in the beginning where they walk you through all of that stuff. So as long as you're um, willing to just read some of the the menu stuff, you should be good to go. Very nice. But, Ryan, let's get into the crazy-ass story here. So pull this up from Wikipedia. Buckle up, everyone. Here's a little bedtime story for you. Code Vein is set in the near future. The world has fallen to a mysterious calamity known as the Great Collapse. In order to fight the monsters that began emerging around the world, humanity created the Revenants. 
human corpses brought back to life by implanting a biological organ regenerative <laughs> parasite within the heart, acting as vampiric fighters with unique abilities. Revenants can only die if their heart is destroyed and require human blood as nourishment to keep themselves from entering a frenzy and mutating into the lost. Cannibalistic beings devoid of reason and control. Kind of like you. Dude, if I don't eat my steak or some meat, I definitely devolve. Into the lost. (laughs) Into the lost. (laughs) Into a revenant seeking the hearts of others. Must consume my peers' blood. (laughs) That's why they put me in a cubicle. Yeah. Or else I'll consume my coworkers' blood. It happens to the best of us. Over time, the number of lost increases to the point where they begin to collectively emit a deadly miasma that hastens a revenant's bloodthirst and chances of frenzy. Participating in an experiment to stabilize the revenant population and save off the lost, a young girl named Cruz Silva volunteers to become the queen of the revenants. Though she later frenzies herself and goes on a murderous rampage more revenants are created to defeat the queen in a mission dubbed as operation queen slayer (laughs) (laughs) the most generic freaking name how do we kill the queen of the revenants what are we gonna call our raid operation queen slayer led by cruz's father gregorio silva Though they succeeded in killing Cruz, the lost in the miasma remain, requiring revenants to wear filtration masks to avoid turning lost, and blood springs, plants that produce nourishing blood beads as an alternative (laughs) to human blood, begin to dry up. Goku then has to fight Piccolo, who's turned into a parasitic rat. It's it's almost as ridiculous as, like, Sora must, like... He has a heart moon in front, like, inside of him. But, oh, did you know, Sora has another child boy inside of him. And, oh, Kairi has a blue-haired girl's soul inside of her. And Riku has, like, six souls inside of him. Whatever ha- <laughs> Fucking anime, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Find out next week on Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I don't know. Code Vein's nuts, but it's actually a really good time. Yeah, I, I think when I was... When you're showing me the first time, within the first, like, six or seven sentences, they mention blood beads. Like, a hundred times. Yeah, with every sentence was about blood beads. You want the blood beads. I have some blood beads. Do you want me to sell you the blood beads? If you consume the blood beads, we'll have less blood beads. Because that's how fucking math works. (laughs) (laughs) And then freaking waifus come in. Like, it's, yeah, it's a game. It's definitely, uh, it seems like a good starting point with story-wise being more in your face Mm -hmm. to, like, if you want to progress or kind of move into Dark Souls. I think it is. Like, if you've never played a Dark Souls game, I think Code Vein is actually a really great place to start because if you played something like this, you see the really horrible frame rate uh, and draw distances and stuff like that. It has a, a different level of... Uh, jank to it and I think if you go from this to something like Dark Souls not only will this game's difficulty prepare you for something like that uh, but I think you'll be able to better appreciate the world of Dark Souls yeah like the Christmas the crispness of the controls because I definitely wouldn't encourage anyone to play like Dark Souls 3 or Bloodborne and then go back to Dark Souls just because it's a tough transition but I think if you play something like Dark Souls first and then you play something like Bloodborne or Dark Souls 3 you're like wow like that progression and how faster how how much more quickly your character moves like it's just night and day difference it is and it's it was almost hard 
going from Dark Souls 3 to Demon Souls because you are going to the OG. Mm-hmm. Like, even pre-Dark Souls 1. Yeah. So what's the speed like? Is this a Bloodborne speed or is this a Dark Souls speed? I almost felt like I was playing Bloodborne in an, in an anime world. Oh, okay. Like, it Very really nice. feels like it has the level of um, speed and intensity of something like Bloodborne and pacing of Bloodborne. Uh, and even some of the weapon choices, like I'm, I'm using an axe that reminds me of the axe I literally used for the entirety of my Bloodborne run. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it definitely feels more at home for people that have played Bloodborne than Dark Souls, uh, but it still retains a lot of the Dark Souls uh, nuance and mechanics. I mean, it's also kind of similar to bloodborne because all they talk about is blood (laughs) that's true the old one's blood blood beads yeah (laughs) blood shards blood chunks (laughs) all kinds of blood all kinds of blood but yeah if you're looking for a nice souls like game to mix things up uh and you are getting a little tired of demon souls remake or even if again if you've never played a dark souls game code vein super cheap how does this compare to lords of the fallen oh gosh um because that one was more button mashy. This one... It was. Yeah. They're definitely two completely different games. Okay. Lords of the Fallen, I felt like, had a greater emphasis on constantly getting weapon and armor drops and mixing and matching all your different armor plates and shields and weapons and things like that. Code Vein, even being a, a heavy emphasis on anime, doesn't really have those t- levels of customization or... Uh, aesthetic changes or Mm -hmm. at least the frequency of it is less um but in your character creation there's just a whole litany of options for you to color code things and you know wear all these kinds of anime outfits and then you can kind of customize your character's appearance with um like seven layers of hair yeah hats and glasses and you know chains hanging down from your pants and all kinds of wacky things like that but just in terms of overall gameplay hmm yeah, Lords of Fallen definitely resembles more Dark Souls, where I think Code Vein stays closer to Bloodborne. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Like, Lords of the Fallen really reminded me of Dark Souls 2. That's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Souls 1 and 2, because again, it's okay. just a little bit slower. Uh, yeah. Combat feels a little heavier, whereas you I'm, go to something like Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne, it just seems a lot quicker paced, and yeah, that's what I would say Code Vein's like. I mean, it's been like, what, two years since we played Lords of the Fallen? I'm curious how bad it is, or if it holds up at all. Yeah, I'd like to go back to it someday, but it's not something that I'm rushing to download Jones and get back to, to. Yeah, no. Code Vein's definitely scratching the Dark Souls itch right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick that up for sure. It's on sale, right? Yeah, it's like twelve fifty right now on PSN. I grabbed a copy on eBay for like 19 bucks, so I wanted that physical copy you know what i'm saying yeah 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 physical dish but uh ryan you did something in the dark souls world yes speaking of dark souls um it's now sunday and i held true to my promise to the viewers that i uh, got the platinum it's been a long time Souls three yeah i ground out for i had one pyromancy left and basically there's these covenants where there's three different levels Mm -hmm. and to get the final pyromancy you have to be level three in a covenant so i had to grind out the uh shackles which is basically the covenant's currency um so i did that for like six plus hours yesterday while watching supernatural got to season nine um and then season 15 just dropped on netflix so that's good news if you want to finish out the series um but now i'm starting bloodborne uh i got one out of three trophies last night so i just have the chalice dungeons left and then i'm 
done with Bloodborne. Nice. Um, I'm not sure which one I'll do next after I take a break from the Souls likes. I think I'm like 65% through Sekiro, but that requires like three or four new playthroughs. And that's an undertaking. Yeah. So uh, I'll probably, probably maybe Demon Souls. I might do that. Okay. Yeah. But, and then I also watched The Boys last night and didn't get much sleep because <laughs> I watched like seven episodes and, or six episodes and they're an hour each. Whoa. So what time were you up till? Too late. I think like 4.30. Whoa. By the time I got to bed, it was probably around five. Okay. And I woke up at nine. So I'm caffeinated to hell right now. <laughs> What's up? So Yeah. Good but stuff. But we have lots to talk about. We do. We do. Well, speaking of things that we need to talk about, Ryan, let's channel the caffeinated energy into talking about the Game Awards. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Poor Scoob didn't even... Didn't even flinch. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah, so the Game Awards happened on Thursday night. I was tuning in to Mr. Pete Door's stream. I think you were doing the same. And uh, we had lofty expectations going into this. If you listened to the last Echo-filled episode, Ryan and I... Shared a few different predictions, but mostly we just shared what we thought would end up winning each of these awards. So why don't we just kick it off, Ryan? How about you just share your overall thoughts? Maybe, you know, we heard about your expectations going into it, but what do you think about the Game Awards this year? Yeah, I thought it was good. It was, I mean, some added cringe based off of no audience and there's being a laugh track and everything. Um, I I thought the multi-screen, like having everyone... I don't know, Skyping in or to accept awards in. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, or I think it was towards the beginning where he showed, we have everyone here. And it was just a bunch of screens of people waving. Yeah. I thought that was cool technology. Um, but yeah, I think you lose a lot of that feel and you could feel the announcers kind of being drained mm-hmm. or not as enthusiastic as they would be if they had the full crowd in front of them. Yeah. No, I would tend to agree. I think overall, you know, having watched the past few years, I thought Jeff Keighley did a great job, especially given the the pandemic situation. I thought overall the show was really well paced. There was limited cringe. You know, I think in prior years, maybe it's because of an audience and because it's not pre-recorded, so they couldn't do multiple takes. Yeah. Uh, and someone just goes out there and just starts making a bunch of, making a fool of themselves more than anything. Like the, uh, the girl who played Abby, her speech was like five to ten minutes of just acceptance. Which I thought was really good and very powerful and moving. Uh, but you're right, I think it probably went on a little too long. I was waiting for her to be like, they, them start playing the song. And just kind of like, yeah, like drown her out. Get her off the stage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like just, oh no, connection problems. Yeah. But that or the sweetest chef, I think, was the only other cringy thing. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. I think that was probably the cringiest moment. And if that's the cringiest moment, then I think they did a pretty decent job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely hat off to Jeff Keeley. He did a great job this year. And uh, there were really only a few nitpicks, more so with the game announcements and the order of those announcements, which we will get into. But Ryan... Why don't we just kick things off and get right into the actual winners of these awards? Again, we'll go through kind of what you and I predicted or what we wanted to win and then what ended up winning. So let's go top or bottom to top. Uh, the first award that we talked about last week was Best Family Game. Again, this is for the best game appropriate for family play, irrespective of genre or platform. Pretty unanimous for you and I and also the Game Awards. Uh, We thought Animal Crossing New Horizons would win, and it did end up winning. Yeah, I'm glad it got an award. 
it very deserved. deserves it. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, even if it ended up winning Game of the Year, I wouldn't really have batted an eye just because of how perfect a year it was for Animal Crossing to release. Yeah, when they had the orchestra score at the Game of the Year oh of Animal gosh. Crossing, and I was like, oh gosh, I, I could actually pick up this game again. The music <laughs> was so good. It was so uh, perfect. It brings me back to simpler times. Mm. When I was fired. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> For a when, couple weeks. When you were furloughed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The best of times. It really was. Uh, the best role-playing game was the next award up. So this was for the best game design with rich player character customization and progression, including massively multiplayer experiences. Uh, you thought Genshin would win... Um, or I think you wanted Genshin to win, but Final Fantasy VII was what you kind of thought was going to win. Yeah. Uh, I thought and wanted Final Fantasy VII Remake to win, and that is what took home the award, which I was very proud to see, and it actually prompted me to uh, download it on my PS5 because it ended up going on to win one other award that we'll get into here shortly. And, uh, you know, I made it through four chapters of the game earlier this year when it released, and then I promised myself that I would play through the entirety of the original game before moving on to Remake, but... With the understanding in mind that the the remake is probably not going to be finished, probably not even until PlayStation 6 comes out. Oh, yeah. If not further than that. So, I'm not going to... I think we'll get your we're ne- our next Elder Scrolls before we get another installment. Gosh, what an amazing bet that would be to make. Elder Scrolls I'd 6. I'd probably bet like $500 on that. Yeah. Well, okay, so... You're saying, well... Um, Elder Scrolls Six or whatever will come out before the next installment of Final Fantasy Seven. So not all parts, just the next installment. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, we might have to take that bet offline. But uh, yeah, I'm glad it won, and I'm glad that I ended up moving forward with downloading it. Looking forward to hopefully getting back into that here in the next few weeks. Uh, balancing a whole lot of different games right now, but should be good times. Best action adventure game, Ryan. This was for the best action adventure game combining combat with traversal and puzzle solving. Um, man, they did Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order dirty this year. Got zero recognition, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, you wanted Jedi Fallen Order to win. You thought Ghost of Tsushima would win. I wanted, obviously, Jedi Fallen Order to win, and I thought Last of Us Part Two would win. Lo and behold, Last of Us Part Two won this award and many more. They really kind of swept the award ceremonies yeah, this year. I, I wasn't surprised. Yeah. I, f- I figured, I mean, I was more hopeful. I, I kind of voted for both hopeful on that one. Yeah. Because I, I kind of knew that anything The Last of Us Part Two is, the critics were going to say, oh, yeah, let's give it to them. Yep. Um, but I can have hope. A new hope. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, Blink, he uh, actually just friend of the show, actually, he um, posted in the Discord that uh, his family got him Godfall, which is a PlayStation 5 game that I'm actually interested in playing. I didn't mention this, but I got a free copy with one of the parts that I bought from Newegg. So through the Epic Game Store, I got a copy of Godfall, which kind of looks like a Souls-like experience, more similar, I would say, to Lords of Fallen than I would Dark Souls, but a game that I'm looking forward to hopefully popping in on the PC and playing eventually. All of that to say, he also got uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order from his family, and he's never played it. Oh, dude, you're in for a treat. So I hope Blink oh, ends up so streaming good. that. It's really It's like good Sekiro time. for Star Wars if Sekiro was a little bit easier. Yeah, it, it, and it's fun too. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. If it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Uh, moving right along here, best performance. This, of course, is awarded to an individual individual for voice acting, 
motion and or performance capture. I think you and I both thought this was either going to go to Ashley Johnson or Laura Bailey for the performances of Ellie and Abby respectively, and I was very happy to see that Laura Bailey ended up winning this award. Gave a great uh, speech after the fact too, um, even though it did go on pretty long, and she was her phone was getting pinged. I did. I, I think I liked that a lot. I it loved that. Like, how that. Hey, hey, hey! Good job, good job. Well, it really proved <laughs> that it wasn't pre-recorded. You yeah. know, like it was definitely a live uh, reaction, very authentic, genuine speech. So definitely very proud of there Laura Bailey. There were a few acceptance speeches where they were just pinging. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. Yep. So good stuff. Definitely happy for Laura Bailey. If you've not played The Last of Us Part 2 or The Last of Us Part 1 for that matter, you should definitely do so. Some of the best storytelling in video games. Moving right along here, The Last of Us Awards continue. Best audio design. This is awarded for recognizing the best in-game audio and sound design. I wanted Ghost to win. You wanted Ghost to win. You thought Doom would end up taking the award, and I thought Last of Us would. And Last of Us Part 2 took home Best Audio Design. Yeah. So, not overly surprising, but um, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. And Best Score in Music. Really, really thankful that uh, this particular game won the award. This is for Outstanding Music, Inclusive of Score, Original Song, and or Licensed Soundtrack. You wanted Hades or Ori to win. You thought Last of Us would win. And I wanted and thought Last of Us was going to win just because Gustavo Santuolaya, again, composed such a brilliant soundtrack for it. And then getting the rights to Future Days by Pearl Jam, I thought, um, really would have put it over the edge. But thankfully, we were all, I think, surprised that uh, Final Fantasy, maybe not surprised for those that played the game, but Final Fantasy VII Remake took the award. Yeah, no, it's it's a good win. I'm glad they're getting some love. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting to have Pearl Jam play a song. I didn't expect that. Yeah, Eddie Vedder. Yep, he was yeah. there, played the song, which I thought was great. Uh, did a good job. So, another reminder to play Last of Us Part Two. It's II. interesting how they chose their in-person versus like over Skype presenters because Troy was in person, and then uh, Brie Larson and. Keanu were over Zoom, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of expected Keanu and Bree to be in person as well. Yeah, I mean that's just a logistical thing, you know. Whether people live out in LA or wherever these awards were held, I don't even know. Uh, yeah, tough to say. Yeah, but I'm sure there was also an occupancy limit too, just with the pandemic and everything. Yeah, so, probably. Don't want to give Keanu the Rona. Protect that man at all costs. Yeah, but he's he's already put out his newest game. I guess we have to keep him alive for John Wick and the next Matrix. That's right. And then he can pass. No. Into the heavens where he becomes the new god. <laughs> well, I'm okay with that. All right. Best Art Direction is the next award here. This is for Outstanding Creative and or Technical Achievement in Artistic Design and Animation. Uh, I wanted Ghost of Tsushima to win. I thought Ori and the Will of the Wisps would win. I actually don't remember writing down what you thought and wanted to win. For animation? For art design. Or art I wanted Hades to win. Okay. Um, it, it's a really cool style. Okay. Well, I respect that. Ghost of Tsushima ended up taking this taking this award, which... It, it's a beautiful game. Very deserving. Yeah. I mean, it, you just go... Th- if you hashtag Ghost of Tsushima and go down Twitter and just see the number of screenshots taken by people and how beautiful that w- world is, my goodness, they were so deserving of that Yeah, award. even, I think, yesterday going through all of your screenshots for Ghost, it was... Yeah, I forgot how beautiful that game was. Oh, it's it's basically like watching a Japanese samurai movie. Yeah, 
It's really good stuff. If you haven't played Ghost, get on that. Best narrative. This is when we get into the clean sweep of The Last of Us Part Two. Best narrative is awarded for outstanding storytelling and narrative development in a game. Uh, You wanted Ghost of Tsushima. I wanted Last of Us. Last of Us ended up taking that award. I think deserving of it for sure. Best game direction. That's debatable. (laughs) Well, for sure. I mean, it's a very divisive game for sure. Uh, It had a really weird plot arc as far as like usually pacing starts with like instigating event rising action climax and then descending into ending mm -hmm. and this had like three rising actions three climaxes it it had like three plot lines in one you could make the argument that the return of the king did the same thing so how multiple climaxes multiple endings the movie never ended for a lot of (laughs) people if I could get Org or er, whoa, Aragorn to climax multiple times, then <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> All right, we'll give Vigo a call. Best game direction was the next award, awarded for outstanding creative vision and innovation in game design and direction. Uh, I wanted Ghost of Tsushima to win. You wanted Hades to win. Last of Us Part Two won. No real surprise here. And then moving into the Juggernaut Award, the one we were all waiting for. This is the game of the year. Recognize a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields. I wanted Ghost of Tsushima to win, even though I voted for The Last of Us, because at the time I voted, I hadn't yet finished Ghost. And you wanted Ghost to win, but you thought Last of Us would win. And lo and behold, The Last of Us Part 2 won the game of the year. Yeah. Yeah. No surprise there. And Ghost won... Player's Choice, Mm -hmm. and also there were a few categories that weren't vote, you couldn't vote on the main kind of thing. I think they were Twitter-based, but Elden Ring got most anticipated, as I kind of expected. But it it was nice to see the love of people just wanting... (laughs) And I felt like Jeff Keighley was even self-aware enough to know that, like, it won most anticipated, but I felt like he was almost laughing under his breath nervously, like, I hope no one kills me because this game isn't going to be shown (laughs) tonight. I, I don't know if we were talking on the podcast or outside of the podcast where I was saying we should... I wish they would have, for Game of the Year, handed off from the previous winner, which would have been Miyazaki, which would have probably put him in an awkward space having no new trailer for Elden Ring. But I wish... Like, having Cory uh, give Miyazaki... Or Cory... Balrog. Yeah, Balrog. Um, giving Miyazaki the award for... Like, kind of handing off the torch. I would really like that tradition. Well, it's kind of like the Masters handing the green jacket from player to player, you know. No, I agree with you entirely. I think the pandemic got in the way of something like that happening. I also don't know if Elden Ring is ready to be shown to the public. I'm really starting to worry that that game is either in development hell or really struggling to... Just the creative minds clashing between George R. R. Martin and Miyazaki... I feel like George R. R. Martin, given how slow he is to get anything out to the public with his books, he probably came in for some creative input into the game world and its lore with Miyazaki, and then he probably just backed out, and Miyazaki, being the brilliant video game mind that he is, was just like, all right, I have enough ammo and fuel that I need to get this game going, now I'm just going to continue development and move on. I don't know what's going on there. So for this one, it's Miyazaki had George R. R. Martin come in. He was actually like a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came in and kind of said, here's the direction we want to do. And then George R. R. Martin said, yeah, I'll write some backstory and all the lore. 
Um, and then this one's kind of a new take. It's their first approach to open world, more or less. But it sounds like you're going to be like overthrowing kingdoms and basically similar to uh, Lord of the Rings. Shadow of War. Yeah, where you take down a kingdom and you get like a power from the ruling person. Mm-hmm. So kind of that or Breath of the Wild um, where you get like a certain ability for taking down a colossi. Yeah. So Elden Ring, please grace us with your presence that's all i want it's going to be interesting too now that you know blue point did demon souls so now they are freed up to do whatever they want to do next so i think blink was talking in one of his streams or on the discord at some point in time saying that there's rumblings about sony acquiring blue point games as being a first party studio moving forward which would be amazing because then that gives them additional hopeful hopefully funding to either do something entirely new and on their own or it focuses their attention on older first-party PlayStation games is, like Eco or is Shadow Jack of the and Colossus Daxter. a Sony only? Yeah, that's yeah, that's, it's it's um uh, the studio behind Eco, Last Guardian, Shadow of the Colossus. I don't remember the name of their studio. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think greedily, I'd want them to be acquired by Sony because I like a lot of the titles on PlayStation. But I, I think for the the betterment of the community, having them have the ability to up-res existing on both consoles would be good for everyone. No, I, I 100% agree with you. And that wasn't really going into an exclusivity argument. My point that I was getting towards was, what do you think we're going to see first? Elden Ring? Or do you think Bluepoint is going to move forward with doing a Bloodborne remake or a Dark Souls remake? I, I don't know. Would, do you think they'd go another FromSoft game? I don't think they would. I mean, you just look at the history of their projects. You know, they did Flower um, for current generation consoles. They remade that game, Studios game. They did Shadow of the Colossus, and then they moved forward in doing something like Demon Souls. I would love a Resistance one or two. There's, I don't. There's no way they'd do Insomniac's first person shooters. I think logically they'd move back to something like Eco because yeah, they've already done something probably. like Shadow of the Colossus. I think. They've really kind of done these, not under the radar games, but more niche games. I mean, Demon's Souls wasn't beloved by everyone, but it does have a cult following. Yeah. Shadow of the Colossus, while universally plays by everyone that's played it, it's not a game that everyone played on the PlayStation mm. 2, even though it be- went on to become a greatest hits game. And I think that's why something like Eco never also got the detention it probably deserved. But I think creating a remake of something like that would introduce it to an entirely new audience with an amazing coat of paint for the PlayStation 5 or if they make it for PlayStation 4, whatever they end up doing. I see that as being kind of the logical next move for Bluepoint, but I also, kind of to Blink's point, I would much rather have them do something completely original because they've more than proven themselves as a video game development studio to take an already beloved game and up-resing it and making it that much better and that much more (laughs) available for these new... I guess, new generation of players. Yeah, no, I, I have full confidence in anything they put their minds to at this point. Um, yeah, they just have beautiful games. All right, so what are we going to see first? Elden Ring or another FromSoft game either remade or like a Bloodborne 2? What do you think is going to come first? I don't see Bloodborne 2 happening until after Elden Ring. Um, I don't know. I, I want to say I'm, we're going to see Elden Ring first. Before another, I mean, because they just released Demon Souls, mm-hmm. um, 
but I don't know how many groups they have within Bluepoint working on different things. Yeah. If they have multiple studios under Bluepoint, then I could see potentially saying, hey, here's our next project. Um, but, I mean, it's been a year and a half since we've seen anything for Elden Ring. And who was the person who was playing the Elden Ring gameplay? Phil Spencer. Okay. That's kind of what led me to believe that it could be a potential Xbox exclusive, and that's what the rabbit yeah. hole discussion is, is, is you know, Microsoft going to buy from Soft? If he's playing it and it's somewhat complete... FromSoft's the type of company that releases it, hey, in a couple months we're releasing this because it's finalized. Mm -hmm. And not to get into Cyberpunk, its release, I want to hope that this next generation of games, they release full games that are as crisp as like Ghost of Tsushima, Mm -hmm. where there's very little glitchiness, crisp combat. You don't have to download like a 20 to 30 gigabyte patch day one to make sure you're playing. To make it somewhat look, not look like a PS1 game when pl- it's loading for 30 seconds. Playable game, yeah. Yeah. So I, I see them maybe in the next six months, and I could be very wrong with my timeline, just releasing, hey, a couple months, summer of 21, it's coming out. I see that being a potential pot, like a potential thing happening. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if... Yeah, it wasn't shown at the Game Awards, but what if they just come out of nowhere and drop a trailer and just say June 21st, 2021? Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, live now on Nintendo Store. Like, that can, not for Elden Ring, obviously, but yeah. like, with like, oh, yeah, it's out next week. Like, some of the Nintendo Directs. Yeah. I see them taking that kind of approach, saying, hey, we've been silent for two years, but out next month. Or George R. R. Martin's going to come forward and say, releasing my next yeah. book simultaneously with Elden Ring. Buy yeah, Elden buy Ring. one, get one free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> buy Elden Ring, get a free copy of uh, my next book in the Game of Thrones series. You never know. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be pretty hilarious. Self-promotion, but yeah. yeah. You never know. But Ryan, why don't you say we get into some of our honorable mentions and top five game announcements at the Game Awards. Again, there were a whole litany of games announced over the course of its two to three hour runtime, Ryan and I are not going to go down the entire list. As I said earlier in the episode, you can go on the IGNs of the world and see everything that was announced. But I think a lot of this stuff either didn't interest Ryan and I, uh, or it's, I don't want to say it's not worth mentioning, but if it really didn't cater to us, I'm not just going to ramble down the list. Yeah, I mean, if it's not up to the quality of the Otaku Brothers <laughs> review, then... That's really what I'm getting at here. Yeah, you might as well just shut down your company and close your doors that's what i'm saying yeah so why don't you go ahead and uh rattle off honorable mention yeah so i have three uh, my first one was sephiroth being added to smash hell yeah what an announcement man i did not expect that at all um when they showed that like thing in the sky like w- the final boss of whatever i was like okay this is kind of weird and then it just got cut in half and then you'll see Cloud look up like, oh shit. I was just like, oh, this is awesome. And then one, wing, one winged angel started playing. I honestly thought, because the way, you know, Josh, frantic friend of the show, pitched it in our Discord, when it was just staring at the sky, I legitimately thought he hit the nail on the head and it was going to be like Sora unlocking the keyhole type of thing and he was going to fly through with Donald and Goofy or something wild like that. But then when they showed Cloud, then I did have a sneaking suspicion. But and for a moment there, too, because I think we saw Zelda and Link, I thought it was yeah. going to be another Legend of Zelda character. Yeah, I didn't know. But, I mean, I'm happy. If they're going to add some another character and keep on adding, I'm, I'm happy with that choice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Sephiroth is just so He's badass. He's so iconic. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And I really like the imagery of when he stabbed Mario. And it looked like Mario just got impaled through the neck. Yeah. I was like, that's really dark for Nintendo. It is, yeah. I'm like, you're killing your main, like, the thing that's propped up Nintendo for years. Mm-hmm. Like, 35 years at this point. Well, I love that Nintendo can kind of poke fun at themselves and just embrace that. Yeah. You know, I think that's good stuff. So, uh, maybe it's a sign of things to come. Maybe Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to run at 15 frames per second. It's come to Switch next year. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. 480p. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good announcement. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too. It's not on my honorable mentions or top five, but one of my honorable mentions, it's probably not a game I'm considering playing. However, wanting to get my Elder Scrolls fixed without playing Skyrim or Oblivion for the umpteenth time, I'm considering playing ESO, Elder Scrolls Online, because January 21st of next year, Gates of Oblivion expansion is coming. How much does that cost per month? I think it's free to play, but I'm sure if you want to get all the game has to offer, it's probably a fifteen to twenty dollar subscription yeah, fee or I mean, something I'm like sure that. I'm sure the horse armor is at least fifteen bucks. Oh, at the very least, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love seeing the Oblivion sign, and then you saw that giant demon guy who was like the final boss of Oblivion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, it makes me almost want to see a remake of Oblivion. I mean, that's Blue Point. Oh, my gosh. Or Morrowind. Now you're speaking my language. If you're going back to, like, cult classics, I mean, you have the modding community who's modded the shit out of it, but imagine, like, Morrowind or Oblivion up-res to the level of Demon Souls. That would be... For next gen. Phenomenal. God, that would make me so happy. (laughs) Well, especially because Elder Scrolls Six is at least five years away. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a similar Oblivion on the 360 uh, launch kind of generation thing where, you know, with the Xbox Series Z or whatever the fuck is coming next for them. (laughs) Or why. (laughs) That'll be, you know, their kind of pitch next generation game is the next Elder Scrolls game. Because my guess is that game is still in the very infancy stage of development. Starfield will probably come out in the next four years, three to four, I would say, best case scenario. But Elder Scrolls 6 is so far away. Uh, Imagine this. Blue Point... Studios remaster or remake of Morrowind or Oblivion Game Pass Xbox exclusive because Bethesda has the rights to or Xbox has the rights to Bethesda day one because as we're going to get into here with uh, one of my very that would be killer my top announcement uh, it should be no surprise as we'll get to I feel like that's pretty far away too so I think this back half of the generation has the potential to be some of the best years we've ever seen in gaming. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, good stuff. Yeah, whether I'm ever going to play Elder Scrolls Online or not, I don't know. Could be a fun community game that we get going uh, in the Discord, you know, hopping on a chat or whatever. I'm not sure if many people in our community would be interested in playing an MMO like Elder Scrolls Online, but hey, you never know. If anything, Ryan, we can hop on for a month and just play for fun. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings Online. Hell yeah. Uh, I guess my next one is, it was... The Callisto Protocol. Oh, From the yeah. maker of Dead Space. Yes, that's high up on my list. Is it? Oh, yeah. That's okay. my number two game. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I really want to play Dead Space. I have all uh, three on PS3. Do by you? Yeah. You should do swap the controller for that. We could definitely do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was watching the director go through some of the technical stuff that they had to work through to make it. Um, there's a scene where you're getting dragged and they went through all of the issues coding that and their approach. And I know it's a hor- a horrifying game, but 
having someone who directed that or their president or whatever making a new, more scary version, I, I'd be down to play that. Well, I was already really invested with the trailer that they showed. Looked so next level. I mean, the graphically was very impressive, but what really kind of sold me and put me over the edge was that it said the developers want this to be the most frightening, horrifying game experience of the next generation. And I'm like, if Resident Evil 8 or Village isn't going to be scary enough, if they're trying to outdo something like that, man, sign me up. I love this type of stuff. So have you played any Dead Space? Surprisingly, I have not. Okay, because so, that's a horrifying game. Well, they say that Dead Space 1 is one of the scariest games ever because you really are in a tin can in space. You're alone. You're playing as Isaac Clarke. You're this engineer or mechanic of sorts, and you're just exploring this deserted ship trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah. Whereas 2 and 3 become more of like Resident Evil 3 versus Resident Evil 5, kind of an over-the-top action shooter as opposed to like really retaining its horror roots with one. So I think Dead Space 1, not only would it be a really great game to stream, um, the other alternative for me is just playing a game side by side with you because that just makes it, it's just so fun. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like just to have that pass the controller Screaming mentality. together. Yeah, holding hands. Yeah, I've actually played Dead Space 1 a bit. Oh, have you? Um, yeah, and it's terrifying. And I think... Similar to like The Last of Us where you're in a post-apocalyptic world trying to scavenge for ammo, a lot of the fear is running out of resources to fight off the hordes of zombies or whatever. And in space, it's just that much scarier. Mm -hmm. Um, And you need to go into all the rooms and loot all the shit. But there's also stuff looming in all those rooms, potentially. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that would be a fun one. That was a great announcement. It was a really great announcement. And it actually is planned to launch in 2022 for Xbox Series X, PC, and PS5. So, mad hyped for that. Well, I'll go ahead and and say my next honorable mention, which is Back for Blood. This is from the creators of Left 4 Dead, I think? Maybe not. Turtle Rock. I have a couple notes here. I'm not really sure. The bottom line is, it is a first-person kind of cooperative shooter Looks really reminiscent of uh, the Left 4 Dead games, which I was a huge, huge fan of Left 4 Dead's 1 and 2 on the Xbox 360. Played those with friends just as much as I played Halo 3. Maybe not. That's an extreme statement. But I played a heck of a lot of it on Xbox Live, and it was just such a good cooperative experience and a lot of good times. So Back for Blood looked a lot like a lot of fun. I think it excited a lot of people because we've been waiting for Left 4 Dead 3 for years and I think this might as well be called Left 4 Dead 3. Looks like good times. Yeah, that was on my honorable mentions as well. Um, I never really got into the Left 4 Dead or the zombie games, like Zombie Island and stuff. But Dead Island, but nice nice try. Mm-hmm. What did I say? Zombie Island? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, you know, there's zombies on an island. You Whatever. kill shit. Or the one where you're in the shopping mall. Dead. dead uh, Everything's dead. <laughs> dead Rising. <laughs> yeah, so that one too. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, they, if it's polished then I'll potentially consider it. Okay. Well, I will yeah. wait for your potential consideration as we move into the <laughs> yeah, next It's <laughs> important to consider my consideration. Uh, uh, and then my last one... Actually, we talked about it. Yeah, the Back to Blood was my third. Okay. Uh, my last honorable mention is Century Age of Ashes. This is a medieval fantasy game uh, that looks kind of like... Like Pete, when I was watching him, he's like, holy shit. This is going to be Layer 2, which obviously, or of course, made use of the six-access controls scheme on the PS3. And the game was a horrifying mess. <laughs> it was, yeah, pretty bad. Controlled like ass. Pretty bad back in the day. But this looks like a great game to kind of showcase the power of my PC. Uh, it just looks kind of like a dragon 
uh, PvP sky battle, sky battle type yeah, of game. Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's tough to really kind of say what this game will end up becoming and how great it's going to be. But visually, it looks very impressive. Just looks like a fun game to, again, showcase the power of the PC. Uh, yeah, it's sad so. it's not on the consoles, but that was actually my number one. Most was it really? Yeah. I wanted to play Lair so bad, and then I watched reviews of it, and it just being just a disaster. Mm-hmm. And getting something that looks nice and hopefully plays nice would gives me hope. Well, maybe we can... Um, I'll have to buy a PC first, but... <laughs> or you can just come over to my place and we can play it in February, yeah. because that is when it is scheduled to arrive. February 2021. But, uh, Ryan, what was your, I guess, number five for top five announcements? Um... My number five was Crimson Desert. Ooh, this is my number four. Okay. Yeah, that online... I mean, it looks really nice. Um, it's an MMO, which is terrifying. It, it is. It means lots of hours, but comparing that MMO to RuneScape, the graphical differences are significant. <laughs> well, the combat showed, looked like a, a ton of fun, though. It did. And when they showed the montage of just the different environments, just kind of scaling all across the landscapes and stuff like that, I mean, graphically, it was probably one of the most impressive games I've seen showcased for next-generation systems. Yeah, it was, it was a weird choice to have silent dialogue when they're talking. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I get it. They don't want to spoil plot if there's a bunch of plot. Um, just to, it's probably a showcase of the facial animations, mm-hmm. um, and they, the faces look great. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm, excited for that one. I'm definitely excited too. The MMO thing scares me as well, but you know, Nintai also friend of the show. One of the actually one of the f- most fun things about the entire Game Awards thing is while we were watching Pete, we were just having a live reaction chat in our Discord between yeah. like Nintai, Josh Frantic. Uh, you, myself, I think Nolan was in there. It was just such a great time to live react. And, you know, we were, a lot a lot of us were, you know, drinking beers and stuff. So we were a little over the top with our reactions. It was just a good time. So yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Definitely another uh, reminder to get in the Discord if you're not in there already. But uh, yeah, Crimson Desert definitely was high on my list, number four. The combat, my point with that when saying that is Nintai said this is really giving me Dragon's Dogma vibes, mm-hmm. which I feel the exact same way. That was an action RPG third person that I was really into for like the first 10 hours, but just some of the quality of life stuff just really wasn't there for me in terms of fast travel, leveling up, difficulty spikes and things of that nature that I just couldn't fully get invested in that world, which is a shame because it is a really, really great RPG. I loved the pawn system where you kind of recruited these different characters and stuff like that, but the combat seemed very reminiscent in Crimson Desert of Dragon's Dogma. So if that's the case, and it also has some kind of Assassin's Creed, Final Fantasy 15 feel to, to the combat, Looks right up my alley. I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, it almost looked like a better uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yes, yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, Well, my number five was Open Roads. This is Annapurna Interactive and Fulbright, where it seems to be kind of a narrative-driven experience that centers around this mother and daughter's road trip. Mm -hmm. I love these type of games. It's no secret that I love, you know, Gone Home, which is a game developed by Fulbright previously. Also Tacoma, which I never ended up playing. But I love these very narrative-driven, player-choice-driven adventures. Life is Strange, we talked about that earlier in the episode. Walking Dead, pretty much everything Telltale put out with The Wolf Among Us and the uh, Game of Thrones, things of that nature. I love these types of experiences. I loved Gone Home. That, wor- that house that you got to explore, the level of detail that the developers put into it, 
it was just so good. So if Open Rose retains any semblance of feeling and the feels that it evoked in you, man, that's just going to be good times. So no, it looked like a lot of fun. Um, it looks like a interesting mystery. Um, when they started showing the key and like my grandma was like a gold, not a gold digger. She was like, <laughs> a, them, a, a, yeah, a treasure hunter digging for gold. And there's like a lock. I mean, it, and the style itself was beautiful. So yeah, looks like a fun time. Those games tend to have lovely soundtracks too. Yeah. So very pumped for that. But Ryan, what is your number four then? My number four is Mass Effect. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I have hope for Mass Effect after Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that would give me a reason because the Mass Effect remaster is coming soon, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, so once I get through those three games, ignore Andromeda, it, I don't know. It, it It's a push to get me into that series. Okay. If something new is coming out and it's a continuation of that world. Okay. So... I guess I'll get on my soapbox really quickly. Please do. That's what we need more of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I definitely want to not get too intense with all of this, but Bioware really kind of worries me right now. I think, you know, we have the Mass Effect Legendary Editions or whatever they titled them on the way, remastering those first three games. I think that's amazing. Very excited. I'm a huge fan of the original Mass Effect trilogy, but just riding the coattails... You look back a few years now with Mass Effect Andromeda, the nightmare that was, the horrible development cycle and subsequent release of Anthem. More recently, you have Casey Hudson and Mark leaving the company, really kind of stirring the pot about the future of Bioware, and then them to quickly come out and after the fact say, by the way, we have a Dragon Age trailer coming, uh, Dragon Age 4 trailer coming at the Game Awards, get hyped, get excited, and then we see this Dragon Age trailer that was kind of just this full cinematic thing that really didn't give us any real idea of what we can expect this game or when we can expect it, other than the fact they seem to be rebranding it by just titling it Dragon Age. That's kind of cool. I'm excited. And then of all things, you end the entire Game Awards with one final announcement. What's it going to be? Are we going to see Elden Ring? No, we're going to get a cinematic trailer of Mass Effect about two minutes long. You have this Liara character in the snow towards the tail end, walking towards this mountain cliff with this city in the distance. And then lo and behold, we get a title on the screen saying Mass Effect will continue. What? It will continue. All of that kind of to me felt like Mass Effect quieting the waters and trying to ensure and usher their fan base that, hey, even though we've had a shaky past few years, Mark and Casey left the company. Mass Effect is still going to exist moving forward. So we just put the CGI trailer for you together because my guess that game is six to seven years away from now. Yeah, I mean, most of these games seem to be pretty far off. Dragon Age, same thing. I mean, I think that's almost a next generation game at this point. And so it's well, I, it's I, disheartening in the sense that, like, I kind of just felt like they were scrambling to reassure their fans that they're going to be okay moving forward, even though the past several years have given us no indication that they are. On the other side, the more optimistic, positive side of it is just like, yeah, Mass Effect's still going to continue. That's great. And Dragon Age is still in development. I'm excited about that. But... Um, I, I have reservations in getting excited for the future of Bioware, given the cards that they've dealt us in the past few years. Not that they owe us anything, but, you know, I'm just trying to be a realist. 
cool. Guess I'm not excited about Mass Effect. Fuck you, Ryan. Yeah, fuck Bioware. <laughs> fuck Mass Effect. <laughs> and Dragon Age. No, I, I think the, the issue with Bioware right now is EA. Yeah, I agree And with I that. think EA and Activision, on top of any development studio, is kind of the thing that drives them into the ground. They're just corporate overlords right now, and it's really disheartening. Yeah, so... It's, I think similar to what they're saying in the Discord is this is kind of a last hurrah, make or break the studio mm-hmm. for Mass Effect and Dragon Age. I just can't imagine a video game world without Bioware. Yeah. The Jade Empires of the world, the the Mass Effects. I mean, it's just going to be so disappointing to see a juggernaut like Bioware going under. You know, I think the PS3, Xbox 360 generation was one of the worst because you saw so many amazing development companies go under because like unless you put out something like Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto 5 or the Uncharted series or The Last of Us like you couldn't keep up with all these guys uh, the big guys of the world you yeah. know and to see BioWare go under again not saying that's what's going to happen but man that would just be such a sad day yeah would you be willing for smaller studios to be paid to pay more than $70 for a game? If it means that, you know, hundreds of people keep their jobs and it means that we continue to get games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age and get to explore these rich, detailed worlds that people put their life and soul into creating, yeah, I'll pay $80. Like, there was a time and place where Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis games were $90, $100, $120. So what would your demands be to say EA or Bioware. I think the video game industry just needs to change as a whole. I think, you know, these 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 people that are working ridiculous numbers of hours need to be compensated as such. And I think if a game like Cyberpunk is released when it's released, then own that this is an early access version of your game. Yeah. Don't don't pitch to the people that it is a finished product when it is in fact not. I understand that a lot of people are playing the game and not having issues, but then there's this other side of the coin where you look at screenshots and these people are playing game the game and it looks like a PS1 version. Yeah. Yeah, I think that and microtransactions have... It needs a change in our industry. And like um, the whole crunch cycle and stuff like see, that. I, I don't know if I necessarily feel bad about crunch. Well, I mean, again... So, I mean, I get it if you... It means you have shitty management. It, it's, it's on the managers, but like for any industry... I mean, for us, it's launching a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Right, there's a shit ton of overtime going on before we launch a full model, or like a, a car. It so all goes I, back. I know, yeah, it goes back to project management. Yeah, it's if you have shitty managers, then fucking replace the managers. But there's always unforeseen things that you all employees are going to have to work a ton of overtime. And and again, I don't want to pretend like I am some snob knowing everything behind the scenes about vi- video game development. But going back to the cyberpunk example. That game, at least it was revealed back in 2012. Let's say it was in development a year yeah. or two before that. If it was in development for eight years, you know, Laura and I were talking about it last night, and she's like, well, um, it's because of the next-gen consoles, right? They probably were in development for a few years, and then they had to completely overhaul their game. And my naive, maybe ignorant nature, I'm just like, well, no. They were always developing, like, the copies they released a few days ago was for PS4 and Xbox One. These were not up-resed or whatever for the PS5. Yeah, so to release these pretty much broken copies, I I don't really know how forgiving that is, and I think it does go back to the project management, that something was botched, something went wrong, someone wasn't managing things well, because this game, 
should have come out like what a year ago or certainly back in the spring yeah eight year development cycles ridiculous i know we were harping on we want elden ring now and i mean if you think about it their last title that they released last year one game of the year mm-hmm. so it's only been like a year and a half it's, it's going to be coming up on two years for a development cycle cyberpunk had four times that Mm-hmm. to put out a shitty game <laughs> so well, and or I, like a uh, it runs shittily well and i go back to like i am all for video game delays you look at something like animal crossing was i really bummed that that game didn't come out last holiday absolutely but look at how perfect seemingly perfect in my eyes that game was when it came out in march yeah you know take all the time you need polish it up and also don't run your development team into the ground trying to get a game out and then now they're in complete panic mode trying to get these patches out the door it's really unfortunate it's not right and even if people are enjoying the game and i'm glad that people are i have to think the other side of it this development team is deep in the trenches right now trying to play test and work out all of the kings while also getting attacked on twitter by a whole slew of people saying that their game is broken and sucks yeah no i i really appreciate it i mean as much as it sucked and it was probably the best thing for animal crossing it being pushed back i was happy to accept them pushing it back like eight months mm-hmm. when they said that i mean they went through and apologized like hey we want to give you the best game possible but we have to do this um yeah i mean there, there's no shame i think they just they wanted to keep the confidence of their shareholders mm-hmm. um which is understandable but fucking eight years man it, to launch a vehicle to like full development cycle is three and a half years and that's you have to go through safety all these government regulations i mean to put someone in a vehicle three and a half years and cyberpunk can't do it in eight i mean for the number of people that have to deal with the airbags of a cyberpunk <laughs> like yeah it's probably the whiplash of the graphical snap-in that's killing people again i don't know all the finer details and i don't want to continue to belabor the point because you know the witcher 3 came out in 2015 and it was an exhaustive effort to get that game patched and polished the way it plays today so uh, i'm sure many listeners of the show will have their thoughts and rebuttals to what we're saying here so by all means light us up in the discord shoot us an email at otakubrotherspodcast at gmail.com as to how the video game industry should change or your thoughts about development cycles, Bioware, all of that fun stuff. We're all about getting uh, feedback as long as uh, you're respectful of it. And you agree with us. Well, yeah, exactly. So, so now we'll get off our soapbox talking about Bioware. So I guess anyway, let's get into uh, number four, which is less controversial <laughs> for you. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, I'm sure we'll get uh, some feedback on this one. But that's the fun of Otaku Brothers, right? We talk about the things that... Not everyone wants to get into. But anyways, my number four was actually Crimson Desert. We already talked about this. I think this was one of your honorable mentions or maybe your number yeah. five. Definitely mad hyped for the Dragon's Dogma MMO type game. So what is your number three, Ryan? Speaking of dragons, my uh, number three is Dragon Age. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. I mean, we just shit on Bioware for a good like 10 minutes. But yeah, I, I'm excited. Um, I think similar to you. I haven't played any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. I watched my college roommate um, in college. Yeah, my roommate in college, she played Inquisition, which mm-hmm. she had a lot of fun with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never got into it. I loved a lot of the trailers. I think it was Dragon Age 2 with the dude who had smoke coming off one of his eyes. Yeah. And then he like summoned a dragon arm to rip apart a dude. Um, 
I remember taking some of that imagery back in high school and using it for some of my art designs. Oh, nice. With just that smoke leaking off his eye. It was just, oh, so good. Um, but yeah, I think this is an opportunity to at least get into it and maybe help save with my income <laughs> yeah. dying company so yeah no and yeah. i do want to not retract my comments because i stand by what i said uh it wasn't a matter of me shitting on bioshock it's more just the paranoia of them going under you know uh one of my favorite companies was you know the company behind the star wars battlefronts the lord of the rings conquest mercenary games the world pandemic studios what a weird name of a studio that is <laughs> yeah. given the year that is 2020 yeah. but pandemic was just they, me- they were working on their newest project, COVID-17, but <laughs> yeah. they had to shut down and uh, got this a few years later. But yeah, Pandemic Studios is just one of many examples back in the, the Xbox 360 PS3 days that went under. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm worried about Bioware and their future. So it wasn't a matter of me trying to put anyone down that's excited about those games because I am just as excited about a new Mass Effect project and certainly Dragon Age kind of going back to its roots, rebranding and titling it Dragon Age definitely excites me and very much like you you already hit it i haven't played any of the dragon age games before i think one kind of plays more like a uh boulders gate dnd you kind of create your own character and go on your own adventure uh two sounded like it had more of a um kind of focused story from what i remember and then dragon age inquisition while it has an overall plot i think very much like one you can kind of create your own character customize your kind of party of characters and it's definitely something I would like to go back to. I'd like to play one and two on PC. I have Inquisition on the PS4, so maybe eventually I'll download that on PS5 next year just to get that Elder Scrolls uh, medieval fantasy RPG fix. Yeah, I want to say Lauren played the second one of Dragon Age, or mm. she played one of them. Okay. Um, no, I mean, they're great yeah. games. They're well-beloved, and rightfully so, and I hope that this Dragon Age project that they're working on at Bioware does move forward. So only time will tell. Pray for Bioware, for you know, sure. You know how we were mentioning it was like an eight-year development cycle? Mm-hmm. It's weird to think it's been nine years since the last Elder Scrolls. It is pretty crazy to think about, especially since it was only six years between Oblivion's release and Skyrim, and probably three to five between Morrowind and Oblivion, understanding that development is... F- Definitely far more complicated with this next generation, and with as technology changes, developing those games becomes more complicated. But they've been milking the shit out of that one. Like I, I've bought like four copies of Skyrim. I mean, they've released so many iterations of it. Yeah, I bought it so on 360, PS3, PC, PS4, and Switch. I own five copies of Skyrim. Yeah, I did PC, Xbox 360. PS3, PS4, PS4, and because there was two uh, iterations of it, the like silver edition with modding, oh. and then the original release of it. And I don't have Switch, but I mean, Skyrim is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. So I have nothing. It but... almost makes me want to. I mean, it's been like a year since I've played it. Go back. You should. Yeah. Skyrim's always a good time. That'll probably be maybe after Bloodborne if I'm not doing ukulele. Good stuff. Well, I definitely think you should prioritize ukulele. I think everyone should prioritize ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Ukulele game of the year. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, My number three was a game. I'm not even really sure I know how to fully pronounce the title. uh, Tachia. So this is a uh, game that kind of looks almost like it melds something like Moana, Breath of the Wild, 
Last of Us if you want to include the little guitar playing mechanic that you have, but it just looks like a really fun open world exploration game. The character art and design kind of reminds me of something like Poi, that little 3D platformer on PS4. It just looks like a delightful time, really fun world to explore. Also has a fun possession mechanic where you can kind of take control of just wildlife and kind of, I I assume that kind of plays into puzzle solving and world traversal, collecting items and all that fun stuff. But it really looks like a Pixar game or Pixar movie come to life in video game form. Yeah, I didn't see this one because it was part of the pre-show and you showed me it yesterday. And it looks like a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't put that in my list because I totally forgot about it when I was rewatching it. But yeah, definitely one I'll probably pick up as well. Yeah, it looks like good times. But uh, what is your number two, Ryan? My number two is Perfect Dark, which I'm assuming is your number one. That it is. Yeah. Yeah. I have never played a Perfect Dark. I've watched you play Perfect Dark. And all your meat sims and all the sims. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the amount of hype that you've talked about. And, I mean, I'm sure you were shitting bricks when <laughs> that came on the TV. I mean, literally the only, when we were talking about our bold yeah. predictions, I mean, I, I literally wrote down, let's go back to my notes here, Xbox Game Studios The Initiative finally reveals their project as a new Perfect Dark game. That was my main hope. That was my main prediction. That's really all I wanted to come away from this show. And that's what we got. So I was over the moon. Joanna, she's back. She has the slick haircut from the original Perfect Dark as opposed to the the longer hairdo that she had in Perfect Dark Zero and 360. So I love they're going back to the roots of her original character design. And just the fact that they're bringing her back in a kind of futuristic on the bridge of extinction of humans world where, you know, all the glaciers have melted Humanity is facing a mass flood situation. It was like environmental, just like regulation and all that jazz. Is it the same studio that created the original ones? Or is it a different studio? No, that would be Rareware that hasn't done jack shit for like the past you Okay, know, so they, they farmed out this to a different studio. Yeah, no, this is the initiative. So the, this company I have complete faith in because they're okay, bringing good. all kinds of developers um, from a number of different prominent studios like Insomniac and Sucker Punch maybe. A couple of the first party Sony studios I know they grabbed from there. And uh, I can't remember who else, but you know they have an all-star... Uh, development team working on this so i have nothing but faith that this will be a true to form sequel to perfect dark that released in 2000 of course on the n64 that perfect dark zero didn't quite live to those uh those heights even though i need to go back to that when i end up getting a an xbox one i have rare replay so i would like to play through perfect dark zero give it its due attention but what i'd also love to do just that you have a true appreciation for Perfect Dark is playing through the campaign co-op together oh, cool. on the N64 version because you can do yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be fun. But what I love, I mean, the whole trailer was incredibly epic. What I loved most and what I when I knew that it was Perfect Dark is when they're kind of zooming in on this character from the feet up and you see the Falcon 2 silencer gun, which is a true callback to one of the, I mean, it is basically James Bond's PP7, you know, okay. just like the original handgun that you would expect joanna dark to hold the falcon 2 silencer man i was so jazzed so excited of course i was lighting up the discord i'm just thrilled that xbox is finally embracing the first party properties that they have to know that the fan base just wants to come back your fables your halos your perfect darks 
and I'm just so excited about the future of Xbox. It is a bit disappointing to know that this game is early in development, as I believe Fable is, and I think the the, the first party game that we have the most, um, that we can expect soonest at this point is Halo Infinite. Yeah. Which is fine, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not in a rush to get a Series X and flop $500 down right now, but I think, you know, if it does end up coming out the fall of next year or bleeds over into early 2022, I think Halo Infinite will kickstart an incredible generation of first-party titles for Xbox Game Studios and everything they currently have in development. And, you know, I think even if they are a little slow to start the, the next gen, if you will, once Halo Infinite comes out, man, that's just going to be a domino effect to some amazing games that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to see for this uh, Game Awards was to have some big announcements for Xbox. Yep. To, I don't know if they're not in the game, but to get them with a lineup that we can see a little bit clearer um, to get us more hyped. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think Perfect Dark definitely is one of the dominoes to fall. One, I think similar to Halo, obviously not to that pedigree, but it has a broader appeal to people. You know, people that grew up playing the N64, and while Perfect Dark Zero didn't quite capture the the love of something like Perfect Dark on the N64, it just, it sucks that it's taken them 15 years to go back to that franchise, but it's exciting that they are, and you know, just looking at Twitter, so many people are just over the moon excited about it. Many people that haven't either purchased or bought into the next gen or maybe you have a ps5 there were dozens of people close to me and otherwise that i was seeing like this is what i needed to buy into xbox moving forward so how popular in n64 days was perfect dark it was pretty huge i mean it came out relatively late in the n64 life i mean you know then 64 came out in japan summer of 1996 it came out i think in september or october of 1996 here in north america GoldenEye obviously coming out in 1998, really revolutionary to the first-person shooter genre. The multiplayer was huge among people in college at the time and even just younger audiences like myself with my buddies and friends. But I think Perfect Dark took everything GoldenEye did and completely overhauled it and made it that much better where you had, you know, AI bots where you could play in multiplayer, a cooperative multi or a a cooperative campaign experience. There was actually a hub world mansion that you, when you started the game, you were actually, you got to walk around this mansion and go down to this test facility and test out all of these ridiculous guns that now you would expect to see in something like Ratchet and Clank or the Resistance series. Yeah. I mean, Perfect Dark was so ahead of its time. It was really mind boggling. And I think it was kind of so far out um, it was such a far out release that I think a lot of people at that point had adopted the PlayStation 1, were hyping themselves up for the PlayStation 2 that would either come a year later, or maybe the PlayStation 2 came out in 2000, I can't really remember, but I think a lot of people missed out on it because of that overlap into the next generation at the time. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that, yeah, I'd be game to go back through and play the original so I at least have some... Context. Yeah, context and some satisfaction of where it's been and where it's now at. Dude, Joanne is such a badass. I'm so glad she's back. And if her and Master Chief, man, can be the the mascots for Xbox moving forward, I will be so damn happy. Yeah, that and we should also play Gears of War. Yes. Because I've never gone through that. And I don't think Lauren has either. I think she has them all. 
Yeah, she is. I mean, they're all back there on my shelf. But, so yeah, I'd love to go through because I know at least the first three, which similar to the first like three Halos, is their main kind of overarc. Well, I'm pretty sure four and five are already out. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. So at least playing the first three would be a lot of fun. Well, and that's you know I've talked about it a million times. If you're new to Otaku Brothers, you know I was primarily a PlayStation gamer the past ten years. I was a complete Xbox 360 nut when that came out, and I really didn't yeah. play a whole lot on the PlayStation 3. But the reason why I bought more into the PS4 was because of the single-player experiences, being in college, not really having the time for those multiplayer experiences that you typically would get offered on the Xbox ecosystem. But that's why, you know, now being more settled down, I'm so excited to get an Xbox Series X, hopefully next year, get Halo Infinite, catch back up on Gears of War, play Perfect Dark, Sea of Thieves, Forza Horizon, Avowed, all of these things that will hopefully be ready and queued up here in the next two to three years, four years, whatever it might be. Man, it's going to be good times. Yeah. Lots on the horizon. But Ryan, now we get into your number one. I think you may have already talked about yeah, it. Yeah, it was a dragon game. The Century. Uh, Century, Century Age, Age of, of Ashes. Ashes. Good stuff. Well, I think we can probably cap it off there then. You know, I didn't expect us to go this long, but we also had like a 30-minute tangent about video game development. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If anyone has any, I guess not insider information, but any information on the actual development cycle on how they structure any of their key checks, I don't know who would have that information. But if you know any bit anymore, it'd be interesting to educate ourselves on it yeah i mean i want to continue the conversation i don't want controversy to be a a stifling way that we stop the conversation um you know if you have additional thoughts by all means hop on the discord let us know where you're at what you think what you feel about bioware cyberpunk all that good stuff it i think it's it's an interesting conversation to have uh if we can have it civilly you know i definitely prefer that but (laughs) I don't know if it's controversial to say, hey, we want something that's coming out. We have to pay money for to be developed well without hurting the employees who are like... <laughs> you wouldn't think that's an, a lot to ask, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah fuck you, EA. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. It was a good Game Awards, and there's a lot to look forward to. There really is. I was very impressed with the not only the number of announcements, but how, how much how often those announcements really hit home for a lot of people. So it's a great time to love video games and we have a lot to look forward to and we definitely have a lot to enjoy right now with the next generation. So good stuff, Ryan. I think we can go ahead and wrap up this episode. But before we do, another reminder that Ryan and I are doing or hosting an Otaku Brothers Community Game of the Awards this year. Five unique awards that Ryan and I came up with. You can find that survey and you can have your voice heard on episode 100 of the show here in a few weeks by either going to our Twitter account, otaku underscores bros underscore pod, and you can find the survey link pinned to our Twitter account there, or you can go in the Discord again. Link is in the show notes, and there is a sub-channel called Otaku Brothers Community Game of the Awards, and the link is there as well with a few additional details to kind of bring you up to speed as to how all of that is going to go down on episode 100. But with that said, again, we want to always thank the listeners for continuing to listen to the show. Be patient with us with our hiatus earlier last month and also patience with us with all of the audio issues that Ryan and I inevitably run into on this show. You know, with the new PC recording remotely occasionally because of COVID, we're all just trying to figure this thing out and get better together. So 
Ryan, as I always do on the Otaku Brothers podcast, I turn it back to you, my co-host, and ask you if you have any parting words for our listeners. Yeah, just have a good week. Um, get hyped because we have a lot of games to play. Joanna, looking forward to playing Perfect Dark. And flying on dragons. <laughs> we'll see you next week, everyone. See ya.